This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Carm Capriato, another Aftermarket Weekly with my friend, Joe Marconi. Hey, Joe. How you doing, Carm? How's it going? Always great to be here. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I am appreciative of your time and honored to have you as always. Wish we would have recorded the last 10 minutes. It never fails behind the scenes is what we do. You know, we have a green room and then we turn on the recorders and record these episodes. And then there's always some stuff that's discussed at the end. And there's so much positive vibes and things and discussions and exchanges that go on. And always great to do it with you. Joe Marconi, Executive Council Member, Elite Worldwide and former shop owner, business development coach with Elite. At least keep going on with his resume. Co-founder of AutoshopOwner.com. It's kind of like IATN for business. Business, yep. And Joe says being a forward thinking is in his blood. Always, always. We are coming to you live and on tape from the Dorman Training Studios, sometimes called my car cave. Thank you, Dorman. Automotive technologies of today and tomorrow demand that professional technicians continuously maintain and grow their knowledge and skill sets. If one does not update, they will evaporate. Mastering the changing technologies, adapting new and more efficient testing techniques, and exploring new tooling and equipment applications are just a few challenges. Dorman Training is dedicated to providing the latest information and proven service and repair tips brought to you by some of the nation's best instructors in the company of some of the nation's best technicians. Dorman has been a leader in driving new product solutions for the automotive aftermarket for more than a century with DormanTrainingCenter.com. We also deliver the technical training and insight service professionals need to further their careers and stay current. The automotive industry constantly evolves with technical advancements, making it crucial for technicians to stay updated with the latest trends and techniques. By undergoing comprehensive training, aspiring technicians will equip themselves with the necessary skills and knowledge to excel in their field. In addition to personal technical training throughout the United States, Dorman Training Center delivers online training modules covering a wide variety of topics with new resources rolling out regularly. Whatever your role or experience, you can find helpful information on DormanTrainingCenter.com. Dorman Technical Training covers many of today's advanced automotive systems, including hybrid EV, driver assistance, diagnostics, emission, and complex electronics. Created for working service professionals and taught by ASE certified instructors, classes are held as lunch and learns in the evenings and weekends at on-site locations, as well as available on demand. Bring your knowledge to the next level at DormanTrainingLive.com. Thanks, Dorman. Joe, we're going to talk about this great article that you wrote. So Joe writes this article. I read it. And what do you think I do? I either emailed him, picked up the phone or something. And I says, we got to talk about it. It was about technician production is more complicated than you think. And I said, Joe, what a spot on article. So many things to talk about. The service advisor's role, the value and the tools and the equipment. Do we really know them? Training, 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 sound systems, procedures, policies, workflow management, and all that stuff. Let's dive in. Okay. Well, this concept of efficiency efficiency and productivity has to be redefined because let's face it, like part of our discussion before we came on was the complexity of the automobile today. And 20, 30, 
40 years ago, that quote-unquote a technician, which really in my mind is very difficult to define today, it's hard to pinpoint production efficiency and only point towards a technician to say that's his or her responsibility. It just doesn't work like that anymore. It really doesn't. There are so many other factors involved. I'm sure you, we're going to talk about all these factors today, but you need a team, just like a team like a football team, it does. you don't rely on the quarterback or the running back or just on the receivers. It's a team effort. If the team is to win, if the shop is to have high production, it's got to be a team effort. It really does. Totally agree. I remember reading articles, Joe, on the critical importance of a team and how many people work together. They are observing what's going on over here. They may have to come in and double check the torque on putting a vehicle on. And someone is just struggling in trying to understand something on a, and a scope. A person who's a, if you will, junior member of the team and the heavy diag person comes over and says, hey, what's going on? Or somebody is reading some stats that are coming off of a battery test and they're not 100% sure. Don't think you have to know it and do it all on your own, but as a team member, because we're always looking for a great effective labor rate as a team, right? How we can help each other. And I think the power of observation and I think the total commitment in the culture of the company as we work together as a team, we kind of, we move forward, we move back, we move on the side as a team. We're here to help each other. Um, I mean, you just said a mouthful there because it does always, and I've spoken about this number of times. It begins and ends with leadership. It has to be leadership because the right culture of the company. That's why I got to be very, very careful. I'm not about pay plans. I'm not going to go into all the pay plans. That's not what we're here about today. But you know, got to be real careful that you're not rewarding the wrong behavior. Because you can get one tech or two techs in the shop, you know, that has very high production levels. But to your point, what about that person that's struggling? That technician that's only in the business for three years who doesn't really know how to get all paying all the necessary information to go through that trouble on the car. So yeah, it does take a village. It really does. And has the right culture. Again, this goes back to redefining what we're looking at in terms of tech production and tech efficiency these days. It's different. It's totally different. I can't help but think, Joe, and you would know this so well, sound systems, procedures and policies that define situations and lead us to what the next thing is. Yeah, exactly. Because I was always a big proponent of training, outside training, virtual training, whatever it is. But there's another important factor that I think a lot of shops miss, and that is the in-house training of going through these procedures and policies. Every shop is like a fingerprint. No two are alike. So if you're going to increase production, you got to bring your team together and find out what's working, what's not working. You may have a technician says, hey, boss, you're giving us all these BMWs. We don't have the right tools and equipment, the right scanners. Or you could have the business owner wants increased car counts with, I'm not going to go down that road because that's another whole story, but increased car counts. Do you have the right staffing up front to take care of all that? Is the service advisor also required to look up parts, maybe, or the stock day multipoint process to drive a customer home? There are so many factors involved when you look at technician productivity. Let me rephrase that. Shop production, company production. It can't be solely on the backs of the technician. Right. So I buy this new piece of equipment for you. Joe, Joe, how do you like that new scan tool I got you? Is it boss? Thank you. It's something we've needed for so long. Okay. And I walk away. No, don't walk away. You say, so what are you doing, Joe? To know this tool inside and out. In-house training is the key. What are you doing to prepare for, to, for using any tool, any piece of equipment? It could be a new Rolls-Force balance that your shop never had before. Whatever it is, 
To your point, Carm, you're right on target there. You have to have the training. Training is so critical today. I go back a long time. I go back to the early mid 70s. And back then, you can get away with a lot because you can learn on the job. And it was much different. It was much more mechanical in nature. Today, it's just not that way. You bounce it from Mercedes to Land Rovers to Toyota Corollas. You know, you got to think about what the general repair industry, if you're doing general repair, what that looks like today as opposed to 30, 40 years. Big difference. Team production, shop production. I remember it was probably three or four years ago we did an episode on lean. Yeah. I really want to do more Six Sigma stuff. Six Sigma, yes. I want to do a lot more because I really think this could be one of the unfound areas of improved productivity and efficiency. And I'll never forget one of our panelists did a survey of the steps it took just to do an oil change. And they recorded them all, Joe, and they put it down on a map. This person went from here to here to there to there, and they drew it, and it looked like a plate of spaghetti. I can imagine, yeah. The oil filters were here. The oil was there. The battery charger was there. The rags were here. The wrenches were there. The drain plugs were there. Drain plug against you, yeah, I know. And again, I just was at a meeting this morning, and one of the shop owners says, I just bought four of this newest battery tester that I want for my place. Four. He says there's going to be one on each lift, with each lift. And you know something? I had a situation with a shop, a client of mine, and he was struggling with shop production. I said, the first thing you got to do is have a team meeting. Bring the team together and have them, and have so no one wants to talk in a team meeting. I says, just try it. Just keep your mouth shut. Just try it. It may not happen on the first, second meeting, but the third meeting, they're going to start talking to you. So he sees this young tech that finally raises his hand and says, hey, boss, I'm going to tip a shop production. How about moving the wheel balancer next to the tire changer? Think about that because it was on two ends of the shop. So you have, in other words, they got to mount the tire then roll it over to the balancer and then balance it. That one step alone, to your point card, that one step alone saves time. So again, I go back to it. It begins and ends with looking at the numbers, technicians' numbers. That's just the starting point. It's a whole different dynamic when you really want to increase team production. Move the battery chargers around, take the tools from the back room out to a specific place on the shop floor, even if it's lock and key. There's so many different ways. And that, Joe, I mean, talk about having meetings. You say, well, have meetings and wait two or three weeks, they'll start opening up to you. The point of it is, is have a meeting on something that they want to talk about. That's true too. What do you want to talk? Right away. I believe that they'll open up. So let's not forget that safety, no matter what it is that we're doing in our company, to improve efficiency and productivity has to be at the top of the list. Safety. Absolutely. Again, that goes back to in-house training. I mean, how many meetings do you have? And, you know, we all get complacent. We all forget about these things. But you got to make it part of your team. It's got to be on your schedule to have these meetings about safety. Too many things could happen in the blink of an eye. So, yeah, I agree 100%. That's got to be part of your routine. Safety actually improves productivity in the long run because you're thinking about a safe way to maneuver. Plus, if someone gets hurt or there's a situation develops, you know, it's, it's just not good for the overall morale of the team. You know, one other thing I think about, Joe, and stop me if I'm wrong, please, about this whole topic is to empower our people to make decisions. Oh, man. What a, oh, my God. You are so on point. The worst thing you can do is handcuff somebody's innovative mind. That's the worst thing you can do. You see, we're so afraid of shop owners that they're going to make, if we let them go, if we let the rope go out too far, too quickly, they're going to make a mistake. But we all forget sometimes that how we got where we are as shop owners, we made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. And so 
sometimes you have to allow them the ability to think on their own. And if you don't exactly agree with it, let them run with it. Sometimes let them run with it. But if the decision, look, let's face it. We all know this. We all heard this expression. Shop owners, you can't be the smartest guy in the room. We all talked about this. Because if you were to rely strictly on your abilities and your brain power, your business will plateau. Because you're only limited by, by your resources, by your God-given talents and your brain power. When you bring, collect, that's why you got to hire good people. And once you have those good people, you'll have to let them grow within. A company that you just can't be the owner of the company or the management that grows a company can't grow without the people within the company also growing or else the other company will plateau and it cannot, to repeat myself, be totally reliant on your brain power. So to your point again, you're spot on. They have to be able to be innovative, think on their own, make decisions, move forward. How about assigning work and the workflow to the right individual? When I was in business, I tried to understand the strengths of my team. On a busy, packed day, if I knew someone was very proficient in check engine lights, he got the check engine light. If somebody was very proficient in electrical, let's say a door motor had to be replaced, and that was Larry, I gave it to Larry. Larry got dispatched. But there is also an argument that you got to spread it around to a point, if at all possible, where you give the people that are not experienced, as opposed to the older guys, the other most experienced guys, give them the opportunity to learn and grow too. Let's face it, no one is born. Let's make a sports analogy. Michael Jordan probably if not one of the, if not the greatest, one of the best, greatest basketball players of all time. But he wasn't born with the ability to dribble a ball and shoot a, shoot a basketball. He had to learn those skills. So, you know, the same thing with technicians. In the real world, when it's busy and you're slammed, yeah, you have to assign the right technician. Know the strengths of your technicians and assign that job that they can do very, very efficiently. That's an art. You know, there's different variations of shops. We've got shop foremen, shop managers. We've got leads, service advisors. Whose real role in the company is it to assign jobs? If you have a shop foreman. That's the job. Yeah, because in my world, that foreman, he has to be focused. He's the center of, he's the hub, right? He's the hub. It has to be direct communication with the technicians, to the foreman, to the service advisor. Now, a lot of shops don't have that uh, shop foreman. So there's got to be a lot of work because communication, communication, communication is key between this. Too many things get mixed. They, they get mixed up. They get forgotten. The notes don't get presented properly from the technician's work order. So, but in a real best case scenario, real world best case scenario, yeah, you want a shop foreman as the hub. Now, a true foreman though, because I've seen foremans that they're required to put the book 20, 30 hours a week. That's not a true foreman, you know? So you got to be real careful with that. The position of the foreman can really improve the shop production because that person is going to be in charge of the go-between, service and shop, service and repairs, you know, it's going back and forth. A very good point. And to be able to assess what kind of training, what what we need, the, the tools and equipment that we need to do a, a really good job. Let me ask you about parts availability delivery, getting them there in and on time. Well, you see, that's another problem too. You know, the past couple of years for a lot of shops, it's getting better now, but it's been a horror show of getting parts. Some parts not available. You got to go through three or four different manufacturers, three or four different suppliers. Sometimes you got to go to the dealer world, which maybe some people are opposed to, but you got to do what you got to do to get that job done. So that becomes a real issue. And sometimes I would say the majority of shop owners, which I have the greatest respect for because what they do on an everyday basis is nothing short of a miracle. It really is what they do. But sometimes they don't want to compromise and sometimes settling for a part that you don't want to necessarily purchase 
you got to do what you got to do. But sometimes it means sidelining that car because to wait for the part that you want. But that's, again, we go back to production, right? So if the service advisor, let's say you don't have a parts person now, and the service advisor has to chase down a water pump for a, a 99 Land Rover and there's none available in your state. Let's say you got to go across country or overseas to get one. That's a problem. How much time is being taken up by the service advisor? instead of writing those jobs. So again, it's a bottleneck and has to be addressed and it's getting better, but it's a problem. And the best of the best realize that you don't raise a labor rate to fix this problem. Well, you know, you look at labor rates. First of all, labor rates have gone big time, increased the past couple of years. For the most part, too many of us were too cheap for too long. I get that. But the labor rate is not going to just solve all your problems. You got to look at your effective labor rate too. So effective labor rate, because I've seen shops that posted rate of 175. When we actually do the math, they're down around 110, 100 bucks an hour because there's something wrong with writing the estimates, not billing out correctly. Their devices are we learn dealers sometimes that they think in their defense, they're thinking that, well, if I take a little off the job, I can get the job. There's a lot going on here, a lot going on. And which I hate, by the way, you don't walk into Burger King and say, I'm not paying $4.95 for that Whopper or whatever, or Starbucks. I'm not paying that for that grande coffee. I'm not, you don't do that. So why is it done in our profession? I don't know why, but it's getting less and less these days because shop owners have put their foot down and say, look, enough is enough. We have to get this. But I agree with you. Just raising your rate. First of all, you have to know how to raise your rate. That's a whole nother podcast. And once you get there, you have to calculate what is your actual effect of labor. In other words, what are you truly making per hour? And then, then that'll determine where you need to go from there. Wow. You just mentioned 495 Whopper. Whatever it is. I don't know if that's true no, or not. No, you probably are. And it probably is low. A friend of mine went on this little mini trip, came back. We had dinner a week later and he goes, Carm, I walked up to get a, what's a meal at McDonald's called? What do they call Value meal. Value meal. He went to get a value meal. And he goes in a Big Mac value meal was $17.95. And I looked at him and I said, you just can't be right. He goes, well, maybe yeah, I was near Pittsburgh. Maybe it's a big city and the prices are up there. And just three nights ago, this is a month ago, three nights ago, there was a news story about the price of the fast food that we love. And that was the price they mentioned at a particular city for a Big Mac value meal. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. And what I would love to do, because this is how my crazy mind works, Joe. Let's see how much transportation went up. I mean, maybe the French fries don't cost much more in this big billion French fry production system that they have. But just to get them out to the stores and the new wages to pay and the insurance is going up. I mean, look at your homeowners the next time the bill comes in and then pick up the phone, which I did just three days ago and said to my insurance carrier, are you kidding me? I'm paying this much more. And she says, Carm, like everything else, it's hitting this industry big time. Home values, the cost of this, the cost of that, the cost of just replacing something. If it goes bad, they've got to cover their butts, right? Yeah, of course. Let me just piggyback on something too about the labor rate and the raising of pay and the benefits. I think it's heading the right direction and we should because for too long, again, we didn't pay our, our people enough. I believe we should have paid them a higher decent salary, but that's not going to be the cure all for what's going on in any industry. You just can't throw enough money at any, anything going to make it work, going to make it uh, satisfy people. Because in spite of what you may hear, money's a motivator, money's demotivated. It really isn't. It's a lot more to it than just the money. And it, it goes back to what we said earlier in, in the beginning about the culture and the leadership of a company. When I think you, let me just back up a second side to that, Pip. I think you do need to pay people 
the wage that they earn, that they deserve and benefits package and all that. I really do believe that because I think that to attract and retain quality people, they have to earn a certain living, but that's not going to keep them. And talk about, because this has to do with production, with uh, productivity and efficiency. If you're having turnover rate, if they're not happy in the workplace, there's nothing you're going to do. No system in the rule is going to solve. All right. So it begins and ends with culture and begins and ends with, with leadership. Without that, you don't have a business. But you could throw all the money in the world at somebody. And if it's the wrong culture and they're not happy, they're leaving. They're not going to stay. And people don't, let's face it. And we've heard this expression too. People don't leave their job. They don't leave the company. They leave the people they work with and most likely the boss or the manager. I want to work there. Really? You want to work there? Yes. Why? Then you start hearing all the reasons. We're family. We care for each other. We get recognition. I mean, there's so many other, they care about what we think, what we have to say. They help me in the tool decisions. People want this. They send me to training. They pay for it. And none of that had to do with the living wage. None of that. Yeah. Again, we're coming full circle here, but it does all play into the team concept when we're trying to determine what's the best course of action to increase production. And culture and leadership has to be a component of that. Every time we talk about effective labor rate, I am going to remind everyone what the formula is. It's total labor sales dollars divided by total labor hours billed. So if we're efficient, we can bill more hours. Doesn't mean we have to be faster at anything. We have to be efficient at it. Yeah, you just point to one thing, very, very important, because moving fast is not the answer. They're not animals, they're not resources. You can't just tell them move faster, move faster, organize yourself. If the service advisor is not skilled enough on how to build the job, build the right time, especially, especially we're talking about testing, you know, testing for check engine lights, drivability problems. There's nothing that technician is going to do in terms of speeding up his or her work to make up for an estimate that's not built properly. Nothing in the world. I don't want to hear it. You have to be good enough to have the ability to bill the hours during the day or the week, the hours that you've committed to. And if you're flat rate, you're paying someone eight hours to do a six-hour job, they get the eight. Yeah, of course. They get the eight. They do it in six. Efficient. Quality controls, no comebacks. That's a good thing. In that eight-hour day, we're down to six. We can book more. And that improves your effective labor rate. Yes. You have to understand, too, though, and I want to just add to that. It goes back to what I said earlier. The technician has to know what's expected of them. Let's assume this is a top-level technician and they do on the car. They do you know, they do all the mechanical work. They really are experienced. So, and I'm going to make this up. This is not proposed number, but this is just, I'm making this up. Let's say from that position, not the person, position you require in a 40-hour week, you require a minimum of 40 hours bill labor. That's a starting point. But to get there, it doesn't only rely on the technician's ability to produce those hours. Because if technician gets a check engine light, and this I've seen this all the time, and it truly, that's a complicated job that's took that technician four hours to fully go through to arrive at a, at a, a conclusion, but they build out, but his time is built out at a menu can job rate of, let's say, 195. Well, then how in the world is that technician going to earn those hours or going to produce those hours? So it has to, the starting point to look at is a technician, but actually the starting point to look at is how the estimates are generated, how you're arriving at that labor time, because the, are you using the labor guides as a Bible or are you understanding that this particular check angel or drivability problem is not a menu-based price out of a labor guide? So there's, a, again, it gets complicated. You've got to include these things when you're trying to determine how to increase labor and 
efficiency. Well said. You know, this business is easy, Joe. I think I'm going to go open a shop. God bless you. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. That's what you thought all those years ago. And But you, you groomed and you grew and you struggled and you learned and... Yes, but you didn't, you're not back in 1980. You moved along where you needed to be so that you could learn, groom, and grow and be successful. Well, yeah, but I had to fall apart to get there. Yeah, I know. I had to make a lot of mistakes to get there. I'm so grateful to you. Back when I first started the podcast, March 2015, you came on with episode 11 with me in May of 2015, March, April, May, episode 11. And you told a hell of a story. Yeah. About be falling apart, right? I don't know if I have time for that now, but... We've been friends for about eight years. I so appreciate your time. We're not going to change the world, but we're going to excite this dialogue that we had with people and maybe trigger Joe. Oh my God. And they're going to write down a couple of really cool thing takeaways here to find one, two, or three little areas that they can improve in their business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's what it takes. You know, life is a series of little incremental improvements each and every day. And that's what it is. If you can do that, and there's no such thing as a destination, shop owners, technicians out there, you're never going to say, well, I reached it. I reached the point of that's it. That's not the way it works. Because if you reach that point, it's the end of your life. So if you're a business owner, you have to commit to a lifelong commitment that every day you're just going to make it just a little bit better and a little bit better. And that's what you got to hope for. Then make it a little bit better. If you go into the day with that attitude, a positive mindset, with a growth mindset that you can accomplish things, then you're going to make your life a lot better. You'll never get to the pinnacle of perfection. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is just, a, I think the point of today also is to just to start thinking through the process. Low production, yeah, monitor and measure the emissions, but also look at everything else. The shop layout, do you have the right tools? The training, in-house training, the ability is the, is the are your service advisors too busy? Are they picking up too many phone calls? Are they driving people to down the corner to the home? There's a lot going on there. So like to your point, you look at Lean Six Sigma, you got to analyze the steps of each operation and say, can we eliminate some steps or can we fine tune this and just take a open mind approach to your business. And I guarantee you, you're going to say, well, it's, it's not really totally on the back of the technician. Everybody involved, just like a football team. You got the quarterback, the running backs, you got the wide receivers, the offensive line, defensive line. Can't win a championship without everybody doing the need to do. Same thing in your business. What a great summary. Tell me about Fly with the Eagles. That's in February, February 6th through the 9th. I'm sorry, 6th through the 8th. And I'll be there. I'm the main presenter with Kevin Boyd, a good buddy of mine. He's also a coach of the league. It's probably, in my mind, the most powerful business management course on the planet. We go through everything from financials, leadership, culture, marketing. We go through recruiting, employee management, so many things. We go deep dive to every subject, three days of intense training. A lot of breakout groups we have now too, which we break out and we discuss things. Yeah, looking forward to it. If I was a shop owner, you recommend it. But if I was a general manager, would you recommend it? Yeah, we get a lot of managers in that course. We get a lot of service advisors come too because the shop owners will bring the manager, general manager, and they'll bring the lead service advisor too because let's get all on the same team here. Yeah, so we'll see a shop owner come back. In other words, they may go alone first time, then they come back a second or third time, bringing more people and more people with them. A scenario. I'm the father. I have this daughter of mine who's working in the business and she wants in. 
I could send her to fly with the Eagles. Well, you know what? She'd get a lot out of it. We have people in the industry, people from Techmetric and AutoLeap and Sharp Marketing Pros will be there. They want to sit in. Turnkey marketing. People, have, they want to sit in and say, what's this all about, this fly with the Eagles? I call it the magic. I remember when I first attended my fly with the Eagles as a client of Elite, at the time, Bob Cooper, you know, the first day you got your hands folded, what am I going to get out of this? By the second day, you're like, wait a minute. By the third day, you're like, oh man, this is, all the lights go off in your brain. The magic. Fly with the Eagles. Yeah. Where is it this year? It's going to be in Dallas. Yep. Dallas. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Joe Marconi, co-founder of AutoshopOwner.com. Please go on that. Uh, subscribe. Joe, you publish all of our great content. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Former shop owner, business coach at Elite. As always, I appreciate your time. Keep writing these great articles. You keep coming on. We'll talk about them. I promise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.